0: Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We are your hosts, James and Anthony. In this episode, let's discuss bones and all. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. Let's get into a little Italian filmmaking with Luca Guadagnino, his brand new film, the first one of his in America, Bones and All, the terrific horror romance. Luca and Timmy are back in action because Suspiria, <laughs> he did not film in America, right? He, filmed he did that, not in Europe, yeah. in Italy. Yeah, it's an Italian film. In Italy. In Italy. No, I don't think they filmed that in Italy, though. Well, it takes place in Italy. It does it take place in Italy. Um, but I think they're just like a great match. These two, uh, as actor director, I hope they work together more often after this because this is two movies uh, since 2017. Did they call me by your name? And then obviously this. And I think they just are a match made in heaven. And Luca is a terrific filmmaker. Calling by your name, we talk about that a lot. That's one of our one of our favorite movies in the last five ten years. One of mine personally. And not to mention Suspiria that he made in 2018 yeah, was terrific. I just finally watched it. Holy crap. Blew your mind, right? It blew my mind. So much blood. The The third act, I was like, oh my God, how much fake blood did they use? And the dance scene, dude, it's crazy. Really, really terrific filmmaker. The execution of this movie was phenomenal. And I, I really enjoyed it. I was going into it very open minded. I don't re- didn't really know much about it. I every time I saw a trailer at the movie theaters, I was looking away and like covering my ears because I didn't want to see anything. Did. about did, I saw I did. that. Yeah, because I wanted to go in as blind as you possible. did that last week. I love Timmy Taylor. Russell was phenomenal in this movie as well. Mark Rylance, what a scene stealer! He obviously he's an Oscar winner, but he's phenomenal in this movie. The cast was incredibly stacked. Not to mention also uh, his from. Calling by her name, who played Elio's father, Michael? What's his last name? Um, um, oh, um, the guy from the Coen Brothers movies, yeah, Michael Stolberg. Stolberg, yeah, yeah. he plays Jake in this movie, he's great in this movie, Cy well. Abelman. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this movie surprised me with how romantic it was. It's obviously a controversial topic right now where people are saying it's sensationalizing and kind of promoting cannibalism in a lot of ways and it's really not about that at all you know you know there's been is a that lo- what's happening online well there, people are saying that it's um not to, they're they're uh, what, what's the word i'm trying to look for glorifying glorifying cannibalism which is which is not i mean what about the friggin' jeffrey dahmer show exactly well i mean people are upset about that as well i guess oh people, yeah i guess yeah. but i mean there are a lot of movies about a lot of dark topics if you don't want to watch you don't have to watch this movie but they're not glorifying cannibalism nobody's going to go eat the other people after watching <laughs> this movie what is going on it's kind of like a different oh reality This movie, that i approached it like this is a different world there's different kinds of people that are actually out there eating people yeah so what's interesting i wasn't sure going into the film like why people were cannibals but it's explained pretty quickly in the it's a great great idea and i want to read the novel now uh there are just certain people who they have the urge and like the necessity to to eat human flesh and it gives them a high and makes them feel amazing and and if they've gone too long without human flesh they're they're like depressed and they're like losing energy and like they, they, they almost kind of vampiric but not quite vampires but It sort of reminded me of dr sleep yeah kind yeah of, yeah kind of less yeah. magical and less yeah. fantastical um but i really like the idea it's a really cool concept it's hereditary yeah yeah i want it yeah hereditary um I want to read the novel now, but it's a really terrific um, idea. And, but I, I, Luca's one of my favorite filmmakers right now. If you haven't seen his other movies, you get to watch, like, I Am Love or um, a, a Bigger Splash or We Are What We Are, the show. Um, he's he's just amazing. And with him and Paolo Sorrentino, they're, like, the only, like, really great Italian directors right now working today um, that, I, that I really like and enjoy because uh, they're making great stuff but luca's amazing and he's... what about maddie I'm, I'm talking italian why is that okay wise guy <laughs> but when you when you watch a uh, a movie you made set in america shot by luca guadagnino you're like oh yeah this guy's on a different level because what i love about his filmmaking is it's so minimalist so simple he, he films like old um filmmakers lots of minimal lighting lots of really wide lenses um, he likes to use as much natural light as possible. There's so much beautiful dusk, golden hour cinematography in this film. It almost felt like almost Terrence Malick-esque if it wasn't for the controlled camera work. Because Malick, they shoot the same times and ideas, ideas of in theory of how they film, but like Luca likes to control his lens and have his camera more static. And Malick likes to just be like, yeah, just take the camera, do whatever you want with it. <laughs> but they're shooting at the same time of day. And for beautiful lighting, like the time of day is so important. And you can you can just imagine behind the scenes how they're rushing to set up a shot here and then rushing to set up a shot there because it's actually kind of complex. And you have to film pretty quickly, which is why you need pros like Taylor Russell. Taylor Russell, uh, she has a, a lot of work in TV, so she's a pro. And then uh, Timothy Chalamet obviously is a if pro. If you ever heard of him. So you need actors who can, on the spot, in two minutes – Run their scene and do a good job with it to get the perfect lighting and I think a lot of, maybe most people when they watch a movie like this or movies that are shot like this They don't understand how little time there is to to shoot a scene with this kind of lighting And so I just love I love films like this because so much care goes into it And love and also a lot of courage because there's a lot of money on the line and you have a whole crew and obviously the movie looks like it's like a tiny production, but there's there's probably a crew of like 20 people there with a lot of stuff going on. But Luca has the confidence and understanding to know, like, if I want to make it look as beautiful and as gorgeous as possible, we have to shoot in this 15-minute window. And we have to do the scene here, and we got to get as many takes as we can in it. And, that, and that's it not only takes, but like different setups. It's, it probably shoots very quickly, but when you have great actors, they can pull it off. And... This film is beautiful to look at. It, every shot from interiors to exteriors is just stunning. Now, Bones and All, directed by Luca Guadagnino, won Best Director at Venice Film Festival. Luca won the Silver Lion Award, which is incredible. In Berlin, yeah. It was written by... Uh, no, Venice, Italy. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, this, I thought the Lion was the Berlin Film Festival Award. It might be uh, there yeah, as well. their trophy. Yeah. It's called the Silver Lion. Oh, okay. um, I guess you've been to Italy. <laughs> I have been in Venice. Ben, Venice, su- Venice, Berlin, right? <laughs> no, Berlin, Venice, Italy. Be- Venice, Venice, Germany. Oh, my God. He's wearing an Italia hat, too. No, right the now. Berlin Film Festival, the trophy is a lion. <laughs> I, I swear it. to God. I'm going to go. it. probably is, but also in, in Venice, it's a silver lion. For the director trophy? Yeah, and then a golden lion for best picture. Um, written by David Kaldnick, and it was based on the 2015 novel of the same name, Bones and All, by Camille D'Angelis. It's now, a bear. It's a bear. <laughs> it's a bear. You're way off. Now, a quick little synopsis. Obviously, make it quick. there's going to be some spoilers. I'm just kidding. Take as long as you want. Love blossoms between a young woman on the margins of society and a disenfranchised drifter as they d- embark on a 3,000-mile odyssey through the back roads of America. However, despite their best efforts, all roads lead back to their terrifying pasts in a file stand that will determine whether their love can survive their differences. Also, both of them are cannibals. <laughs> Let's let's I left that out of the synopsis, so I added it. On IMDB Bones and All is currently a seven point three Ron Tomatoes. It is an eighty five percent critic score, sixty percent audience score. Told you not a lot of people in audiences are not liking this movie Well, there were two walkouts. Yeah. There were a couple there were a few at the last act of the yeah. film. Uh box office right now, as we're recording this, is only at six million dollars global. The budget went to just about sixteen to twenty million dollar budget for this film. Told you, man. What did I say? And the cast is tremendous. Besides Timothy Chalamet, oh, we already ran through everybody. Um, I'm sorry, we missed someone very important. Andre Holland, he's a terrific actor. He was in The Nick, and he plays Marin's father. He yes, is, I love him. He was also in Moonlight. Yeah, he's in Moonlight. No, was he? Okay. He is who um who Black goes to see. I'm sorry, yeah, Black the third lover. act. Yeah, th- Black third. Black's, Black's, yeah, yeah. He's he's such a good actor because we love The Nick, and he's opposite Clive Owen. He's terrific and. In this film, he's he just steals every moment he's on screen. He's such a talented guy, and I didn't even know he was in it because I avoided any trailers and clips that I could. And so when when he showed up, I was like, Oh my god, he's in this! No way! Yeah, he's he's, ter- he's tremendous. He's got a great like, voice. Yeah, he's he's just a really great actor. Yeah. And just to set this up, so Taylor Russell plays Marin, and she's grown up knowing she's a cannibal. She can't help but at points eat flesh, and she has. Well, she doesn't know. She's just remembering now. No, but she still does the act of eating people. No, no, yeah, but you said she know, she's grew up knowing that she was a cannibal, but she doesn't. But, I mean, she kind of knows that she has to eat. Well, no, the her, like, it wasn't until she was, like, in her late teens that she remembered. That it came back. Yeah, exactly. Okay, she so for, th- she forgot it as a child. Okay, she, okay, you're right. So she keeps forgetting that she eats people. Yeah. But it opens up, shockingly, she's at a sleepover. She sneaks out and bites off a girl's finger, who's actually played by... One of our fans of our show, Madeline, 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 Hall. Madeline Hall plays Kim, who gets her finger bitten off. You, you did great, Madeline. Madeline, was that real or was that prosthetic? <laughs> <laughs> I, so James, when that happened, you should have seen his—he re- was squirming. I was like, oh my god. He was squirming. Oh my god, it was insane. Great. And so Marin basically is then abandoned by her father, who's kind of like been in this scenario of kind of like let me in, let the right one in, where I'm trying to take care of my this child who's technically a monster in a lot of ways, and you know, Marin, she ever since she was three years old, has fits where she tries to eat people or has eaten people at three years old. She ate her babysitter to Oh my, death. just hearing that story was disturbing. You not need to see it. And ever, they're constantly jumping towns and it opens up really warm, their relationship, but there's obviously something off. But he seems like a good dad trying to do his best with what they have because they have to constantly jump cities and they have these rules. And you think at first that He's kind of an overbearing father because he locks her in her bedroom while she while well, and to go to sleep. And you're like, what's up with this guy? He's locking her in his room. And then you find out he's trying to keep her from hurting other people constantly. And screwed her window, exactly. She had to unscrew her window to get out. Now he has to finally abandon her because he can't. He can't live like this anymore. And he knows that her. Her mother was like this as well. And he tried to live with her dealing with that situation with her mother. And now she's eighteen. Now she's eighteen. Here's the, all the money I have. I have to let you go. I have to go on with my life. I can't do this anymore. I can't keep covering for you. I don't want to go to prison, and, and I just can't take it anymore. You know, you can imagine the toll it's had on him. And Luca, he he did a great job uh, portraying memories and dreams in this film, um, just with these super fast cuts of uh, almost flashback moments, and that actually ties into the father, where there's just like literally like a 10 second scene of him of her blowing out the candles of her 18th birthday cake and he says i've been waiting for this day for a long time now she understands what he means and that's why he's showing it to the audience right now because after he abandoned her now she understands what he was saying then is like he's been waiting for her to grow up so he can go live a normal life again and Mm -hmm. abandon her it's getting the dream sequences it's not so much sequences but like little montages that he put together um laced with real memories was really stunning like great work and i really love how we're getting exposition about marin through the tape that he left for marin and inter- uh, intermittently throughout the story of marin's journey as she's just trying to find a way and trying to make it through the world with nothing in her pocket and like trying to get to ohio to try to find her mother based on the town on her birth certificate that we're learning more about Marin throughout the entire film from this tape that her father left her, which is little snippets and stories. And, you know, just like Maren at points shuts off the tape recorder because she can't listen anymore. I mean, the tape player, she can't listen anymore. It's, it's like we're being put in her shoes where we don't want to feel this, we don't want to think about this, and we just want to yeah. shut it off. And Taylor Russell, I think she was really excellent, and she's going to have a great career. She has a lot of potential, and she had a great range of work to do in this film, and she pulled out everything. Uh, from this innocent, naive quality to this ashamed like horror about herself to an acceptance of what she is. Um, I was really impressed by her. I had never seen her in anything. But I know she's she's been gaining a lot of popularity with t- the TV show she's on. She's on a Netflix show, right? Yeah, it's a pretty popular show. I can't she's... remember what it's called. But also with Chalamet, I found it really uh, commendable that he would uh, act in a film where he has a supporting role. Uh, generally when actors are blowing up and excelling in their careers and gaining a lot of momentum, uh, they're generally going to stick to lead roles. And so I thought it was really great of him to be like, I love this story so much because he's a producer on the film. I love the story so much. and I love l- working with Luca Guadagnino so much. I'm going to be in this supporting role. Generally, actors will, especially of his of his size – they're not gonna do supporting roles at that ca- at that moment of their career. You did up in the air supporting role too. Up in the air. What's what's that? What? Up in the air. Yeah, up in the air. No, what's that movie? The the Adam McKay movie. I mean, not up. in the- Don't look up. Don't look up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't look up. At, up in the air is the George Clooney movie that somehow beat uh, Quentin Tarantino for best screenplay. No offense to the screenwriters, but <laughs> Inglourious Bastards was one of the best scripts of the last I this this so century. I was, sorry, like, I was so confused. I'm sorry, I was like, fault. was he a kid in that movie? I'm like, are you Are you an idiot? I was, I was literally going through <laughs> up in the air in my head, like, wait, wh- who was he in that movie? Oh, in my head, I'm like, how does he not re- He just watched this. You did an episode on it. <laughs> no, so Don't what, look up. Okay. So that's what I, I think uh, is really cool about Chalamet, where he doesn't care about always being the lead. So someone like DiCaprio, and I love him, but like Actors like that, like they're only going to do lead roles, and if they do a supporting role, it's in a Tarantino movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also, French Dispatch. Yeah. So I think it's really cool that he is open to being in minor roles in movies that he really is passionate about. I think that that's really commendable because he's at a uh, uh, he's already at a point where he can be in whatever he wants. If I'm sure the number of off- the offers he gets is probably re- every script in 50 Hollywood. scripts a day, yeah, it, of lead roles of huge movies, and he just turns them all down to work in a small role in this small movie because he loves the project. I think that's really great. And also, I predicted the the box office failure of this movie. And I've been doing a lot of thinking about star power and how it's changed because Timothy Chalamet, no doubt, has the star power. Start one of the biggest star powers right now of the mo- of. The current moment and he is in a lot of ways comparable to dicaprio but what i always say is different with dicaprio is no one will ever t- will ever match his box office performance and his box office potential and i always I, I i've been doing a lot of thinking about it the last week and i think that it's it's clearly not chalamet's fault and it's not the fault of a lot of stars like him who are extremely popular but their movies don't make a lot of money um, i think that The rise of social media and the constant connection that fans can have with an actor um has eliminated the the potential for an actor's box office so um before social media if you want to if you were like if you loved an actor the only really way to connect with them outside of looking at a magazine they're in once a once a (sighs) year is to go see their movie right so that's so people wanted to see leo they would go everyone wants to see his movies that's why his movies are so successful He has always had that bankroll as an actor of getting butts in seats. But now with the rise of social media, especially with, uh, actors and celebrities having social media, uh, people who are fans of like Timothy Chalamet, they aren't going to go see his movies because they can just watch endless hours of content of him on social media of, uh, Instagram lives or of uh, footage of interviews or of his own videos or of people filming him wherever at 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 an event or interacting with fans or there's just an endless stream of footage of timothy chalamet on social media and so people are getting that fix of the star on their phone so they're not going to go watch his movie so i think that even though he is without a doubt one of the biggest stars alive globally uh Ironically, his movies aren't gonna aren't ever gonna perform well because people are getting their celebrity fix just like watching on social media him. Wait for Dune Part Two. And, yeah, but still, <laughs> Dune, but even It'll Dune, probably make three hundred million. Yeah, it's not, that, that would make five hundred tops. Maybe, it? yeah. But like I I told you, this movie wasn't gonna make any money. Yeah, I think that's one of the one of the main reasons. But I think there's probably three reasons total. That being one of them, also. There are so many movie stars today that it kind of takes away from who is a true movie star. You know, Leo, we've gotten so many arguments with people in the comments about this. Like, Leo was it. He's probably the last, like, true movie star. Like, Tom Cruise... Leo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt was pretty damn close. I don't know if Brad ever hit he that. He didn't have the consistency of box office. But no Leo way. and Tom, they're movie stars where when Leo was it, the it kid, the it guy, there was nobody else. No one was watching anybody, anybody else in terms of like the the young heartthrob. There was always a heartthrob that was like controlling everything. Johnny Depp was a heartthrob, the heartthrob of the Decade. Like 80s and 90s around yeah. there. So now there's so many heartthrobs. Yeah. Timmy... You know he's so. I'm sure he's so grateful for his career and everything. But like he doesn't. Ha- he's not the movie star that Leo was at the same age. But also at the same time, he's still young. Uh, Leo never acted in movies where he ate people. So I think I would give uh, Timmy the benefit of the doubt to see where his career is going to go going forward. But also at the same time, that movie star quality is gone in terms of of Hollywood. You know, I'm talking. And I'm talking straight box office because. But because uh, I think I'm right, where people they have the connection to Timmy, const- they can just you can, if especially if you're just watching a lot of Timmy content, your algorithm on Instagram and TikTok will be Timothy Chalamet all over the place. You're gonna be seeing him constantly. Why would you go see the movie he's in? Well, though, here's the third thing so, those are two things in terms of there's too many stars out there, and what you were talking about before in terms of you're getting your star engagement and fix online now, also streaming, you can yeah. just wait for the movie to come out. Yeah. A lot of young people, I think they're not going to see his movies, but they're just waiting to see for it to come out on Netflix or something like that. Yeah, whereas when DiCaprio was really, really dominating the box office, and he still is, there was the only way to see him was in a movie he's in. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. I get it. So, but anyways, let's get back to the yeah, movie. Yeah, though. sorry. <laughs> but is a bones but and Chalamet's <laughs> great. And... Oh, you, you all know. how I like. I did my hair like Chalamet for this episode. Yeah, <laughs> he, he did a phenomenal job, and it's a really interesting character. And I like how both these people especially him he thinks he has like he, he thinks he has a grasp on what's going on because he's been at it by himself for a while um, and he's kind of showing uh, her the ropes he's, she's showing the Mar the ropes but then it, we click we pretty clearly see that he's just as in over his head as anyone else and who could get a grasp of this unless you were honestly disturbed just like Michael Starbuck's character who seems to really enjoy what he's doing um, but it's a really fascinating idea like what if? You were so highly motivated to eat human flesh for both pleasure and for, in a way, sense sustenance in some capacity, survival. Yeah, and it was just—it's just a fascinating concept. And but I will say, Mark Rylance as Sully—he's—he's such a good actor, and there's there's a reason why this guy's an Oscar winner, why he's worked with Spielberg so many times, and now with Guadagnino. Um, but they, they get, we see him in some pretty compromising situations in this film. <laughs> like I never thought I'd see Mark Rylance in Tidy Whiteys and like bent over feeding <laughs> on yeah, human feeding flesh. On. And what's interesting is they they uh, Luca portrays them kind of like an, like really like animals. Like the way they feed the way they feed on people. They're not like cutting people up and serving them on plates. They're feasting on people like like they're animals like they're wolves. I found that really interesting. It's like almost like there's like an animal uh, gene in them, like this untamed wild nature quality to these these people where when they feed on human flesh, they, they completely completely lose any kind of humanity or any kind of civilized behavior that was in them before. And also these cannibals. You know, I-, I wonder if the book has a different name for them, because they kind of have also more abilities than the average human where they can smell great distances, they can smell death, they can smell themselves, they can smell other eaters. They call it- they call themselves eaters. eaters, basically. And each one has kind of like their own style and philosophy to being an eater. It seems like there's a spectrum, but at some point everyone kind of does the same kind of thing where Marin is a novice. She's been forget she's been pushing it down and repressing her memories of eating people. Her entire life, until now, uh, Lee played by Timothy Chalamet. He's somebody who's a little older than Marin. Like Eddie said, thinks he has control. He has his thumb on this problem. He thinks he's high and mighty. I'm young and I'm invincible. I got it figured out. He's still a novice and an amateur, and he still hasn't even gone the full lengths of bones and all that. Michael Stroberg's character, his name is is Jake. Tells him about, oh, you've never done that before. You've never gone bones and all. And Jake, like you said really enjoys it and makes it more of a game he, he loves it He loves killing people he likes it so much that he's got a groupie a normal human that he's like turned into an eater who eats flesh with him and also and then sully sully is somebody who's you could say that this is a lifestyle and a burden and a curse that you will not live a long life at some point you're going to either get arrested locked up off yourself so you don't hurt any more people or if you're someone like Sully, you can assume there's only – there's very few elder people that do this because Sully's probably 60, 65 years old. It's still such a dangerous this, lifestyle. Still yeah. getting away with it. He's adapted his lifestyle to this so much and he's gained – he's increased his senses so much that he can smell death as it's upon somebody. Like he smells that woman who looks like she's suffering from a stroke just waiting for her to die. He can smell Marin from half a mile away that's insane to smell another eater that long of a distance where Lee can only do it like a couple blocks. So slowly he's developed his senses and his strength so much and his abilities as an eater so well that he's survived this way. But also he's kind of got this like Gollum-esque quality where he seems to be two personalities inside of him where he refers to himself in the first person. So as to maybe it's kind of, get the guilt off his chest in a way of what he does to people in order to live with what he's done so he doesn't go completely insane he's clearly insane but you know you could see that maybe some other people who were eaters went completely insane and weren't able to function but because of his you could say his protocols his rules he's able to survive but also he's a liar he lies to Marin saying that he doesn't hurt people doesn't kill people when he tries to kill her at the end i will say that Sully, he seems to be the most responsible ear that probably, I mean, exists because he, he makes an, he does make an effort not to actually physically kill people, make it his, and he goes after Marin because she broke his heart. But, and then wh- and what's really great is, is Lee and Marin really have to face with the consequences of what they're doing. Because when she, when he slits the throat of that innocent Carney and then they learn that like he has a family at home. There, she's traumatized by it and he's like well what are we what else are we supposed to do and uh, it's it's just like sh- is it okay to murder people to to serve to keep surviving is it is does that make it acceptable to just straight up murder people solely obviously he's doing something bad by you know there's this woman lying on the floor who needs medical attention um but he decides to just wait her out and let her die obviously that is like in a way um like second degree murder in a way. But he's not like – he didn't like physically cause her deaths or, or the deaths of other people. I, be, I believe him when he says that he doesn't try to kill people and he, he just searches for people who are either recently deceased or close to being dead. Whereas someone like Lee, he's he's straight up murdering innocent people. And I'm sure most, most of these eaters are. They're, they are murdering people. Like even though like that guy in the convenience store seemed like an asshole, he doesn't deserve to die. He doesn't deserve to get his face bashed in and then eaten – so at being an eater it's a complex thing and that's something that uh, marin's dealing with constantly in this film where and and lee and sully represent both um approaches to uh, being an eater one is the approach of you know i gotta do this to survive so i'm just gonna kill people uh which is a horrible thing and then the other and then Sully is like i gotta do this to survive so i'm gonna eat people who are already close to death in which way is better Honestly, Sully's Sully's method is obviously more humane. But you can obviously assume that Sully has killed many people in his entire life. You know, if he has to eat so much, he says, the older you get, the more people you have to eat. I'm assuming that he is a liar, and he doesn't always wait for finding someone who's dying to feed. And I think he just does that because it's more of a safe situation for him to be able to hide out. Just like how... Lee, he kills people and then takes their wallet, goes to their address to see if the lights are on, to see if anybody's home, to be able to stay at their house for a few days or take their cars or whatever. And that's why they get in the situation with the carny. His lights are on and Marin goes and runs to the house to find out that there's a uh, a mother with children there. So I think that Sully's adapted his skills a little better in terms of using his senses to find someone who's close to death or dying and waiting for them to die and then taking advantage of not only their flesh, but also their living situation in quarters. Yeah, great point, yeah. It's also interesting to how it's passed down through through generations and uh, from parent to child where Marin's mother um, is an eater and she visits and Chloe Sevigny plays the mother in this mental institution and she's eaten both her hands and uh, she's been waiting for Marin to come so that she could kill Marin to spare her the life that is this monstrosity. Really crazy scene and so disturbing. She all the way up to her elbows. Yeah, it was really messed up. And then also Lee and his father was an eater. And uh, Lee, um, after his father attacked him... Taped him up with duct tape and then then ate ate him to shit. Like, I that ate that son bitch right up. Yeah, ate him right up. <laughs> crazy. Oh man. Ate him the ate him the fuck up. Ate him the fuck up. <laughs> and ate I, I enjoyed up. it. Yeah, it's so cool. It's so crazy. But also the romance is terrific, and you, we go through both the courtship and the good feelings of an early romance to the destruction of a romance where Marin leaves Lee, and it's tragic for both of them. Uh, And clearly Lee was just devastated by it, especially the way she left him when he was was napping in the car and she just ran away. Really tragic. But then eventually she found her way back to him. And very romantically, he's just been waiting for her to come back, hoping that she would return to his town. He's just been camping out there for her to show up. And when she does show up, um, I feel like she has grown a lot and understood a lot of things going on with her and the world around her. And she's ready to accept him as, you know, being a partner and to to do this together. And when they reunite at the campground, it's really sweet. And I, I'm so glad. I was so happy when they got back together. Yeah. I think she needed to be on her own to figure things out. Everyone who goes through this horrible thing of murdering people. You know. I I, need, I know I needed time. We're not promoting it, you know. Um, I think she needed to go through her own personal time dealing with it to understand it on her own. They, I think they all have to do that at some point. I think that's why Lee understood that when she came back and took her back in and they went on their uh, journey together and, or continued their journey together. So I think it was important for her to do that, especially after seeing her mother in the mental hospital, not wanting to become what her mother became. And I love how Lee says, well, you can either off yourself, eat, or lock yourself up. Those are the three options we have. So either you eat or you do those two other things. And in general, despite the... The content and the concepts and the story, it's a gorgeously shot film. You know, this this movie actually reminded me so much of Brokeback Mountain because of the great romance, the terrific landscape shots of America because Luca is such a great filmmaker. I think he always takes advantage of his surroundings. Like when you watch Call Me By Your Name, even Suspiria and his other films and work, he takes advantage of what he's where he's filming and the locations. And he beautifully shot this film all over the Midwest and in the central central parts of North of the uh, United States. And we've taken road trips like this and you've seen all these landscapes and they're really spectacular. And it's a, a massive country and I love road trip movies. So it's in there too. It also felt like a Gus Van Sant movie. in a lot of times I feel plus the acoustic car, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross created a beautiful score for this movie, but also haunting in specific situations, certain in certain scenes. And the, the gore in this movie was terrific. It was very quick. It wasn't gore just to, like, gore the crazy, like, so much gore that overwhelmed you. It was quick. It was precise. It was practical. And especially the third act of the film, the big climax, it was a great sequence of of gore. But I think they did a really great job Um, when when Madeline gets her finger bitten off. Like Andy said, I I was, like, in my hand, like, oh, gore! <laughs> <laughs> but I thought they did a great job with the gore. The most impressive moment of gore, I think, was when... Uh, we when Mark Rylance is Sully character, he takes the first bite out of the woman's torso, and it's like the 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 stretches. special yeah the special effects design looked terrific. It looked like real flesh, and then it looked like they took a bite of like a, a fruit yeah. roll up or something. The, it bended it, it, bend and, it bend and stretched like fleshwood, yeah, and it, it felt really realistic. And that, that I think that was the best the best uh, moment Woo. of gore. It felt super believable, and I like how I like how where they're feasting like they're not trying to be like civil by like ju- you know eating someone's forearm like they're going right for the belly and right for like the hips and like it, it, they felt so much like they were wolves feasting on a carcass yeah i really love how luca opens his films. so his last three movies so calling by your name Susperia and um bones and all and he opens them up with music as well as either art or artistic shots so call him by your name he opens up with statues with the piano playing in the background which is obviously a metaphor of the film in in, uh, in the statues metaphor in the film which we talked about it's um fo- photographs on the desks yeah and yeah. so but of the statues yeah. of art yeah uh suspira suspiria he opens up with music but also beautiful artistic shots of like that cabin that cottage where the mother is passing away but very artistic really beautiful stellar cinematography And then he opens Bones and All with the acoustic guitar music with the canvas paint, canvas oil paintings that are inside the high school. And I thought it was really beautiful to just cut all to different shots of these paintings of the landscape of the high-rise power lines. It's a recurring theme in the first act. Yeah, so I thought it was beautiful to open up like that. I I love the way he opens his movies, and it's just so realistic. And then it felt – it was like the most realistic-looking high school I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, because he's – the thing with him is he's not like – He's not taking over the high school location and setting up tons of studio lights and, oh, let's have the light pour in from the windows and, like, make it super contrasty. And we'll have jocks over there yeah. and, like, the nerds over there. <laughs> but, but like, he just walks into a setting and he's like, yeah, this is great. And Other than some just some fill lights let's that turn are— Turn the cameras on. Just turn the cameras on and it just feels like a real setting. And it's no BS, you know? It's not just, like— like I, I, get so I, am get dri- I get driven crazy with like so many fake lighting setups of locations, and so many times, especially nowadays with cinematography, locations don't even feel like real locations. And mm-hmm. and I, like I'll watch this, I'll watch scenes in a in a movie or TV show, and I'll be like, "This is not like what it would look like if you were in this room." Like and and I, I it has its place, but the overuse of window lights has just become ridiculous. Where it seems like every scene takes place in a room where it's only lit by the light pouring in from windows yeah, like and a giant it tungsten outside doesn't make sense <laughs> and the rest of the room is completely dark and none of the lights are actually on it doesn't feel real but then you watch a movie like luca guadagnino films or other great uh filmmakers that shoot in his style and it's like they're r- that when you're in a room it feels like a room when you're in uh, a school auditorium it actually feels like a real school auditorium they're not they're not trying to make it stylized and it's really just like it feels like a real place and every interior of this of this movie was perfectly lit and just felt like you were really there and i know a lot of people try to make excuses for shooting on film and you need more light and blah 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 you really don't and if you know what you're doing and you have a great dp like luca has and also the vision that he has uh call me by your name is another great example i am love is a great example of him just using a lot of just natural lighting practical lighting and making the rooms and interiors feel like they really are lived in and they are practically lit the third act was very powerful as well in the climax of this film where marin and lee have gone back together they're moved to the college town she's working at the bookstore they're kind of figuring this out they're trying to start a life together and while well, being you know serial killer cannibals they're, they're trying to they're trying to figure it out and they want to live like normal lives they want to get jobs and just like get fat and do that whole thing now Sully's been tracking and obsessively tracking Marin for a long time now. You can assume for months he's been tracking her the entire time that she's been trying to track down Lee. And he's probably been watching her for a long time, just like when he shows up at that stand, that market that she's at, where she get, where she's there, and he's like, he just pulls up with his van. Very disturbing scene. He asks her to get in, and Sully gets upset and tells her off. And obviously, like you said, he broke his heart because, I dried off next to you! <laughs> I, I dried off next that to you. That means something. His bla- uh, we almost stuck the chairs together. Um, now Sully's tracked her down and pulls the knife on her and just, you know, is kind of like thinks they have a relationship. They th- he thinks they have a connection. But there's there's a tragic, the tragedy behind him. Yeah, of course, behind he's, Sully, he's, yeah. He said, he's just, he said he just wants someone who's like him. Who understands him, who's yeah. so alone. You can see that he's just, he's been alone for so all of his life and he's never had a connection to anything. And... He's on top of Marin on the bed, just confessing all these things to her and trying to like fall asleep. I just, just want to sleep. I need to sleep. And Lee comes in and obviously saves Marin, and they kill Silly, but he gets the knife in the lung and dies. And it's got a very Shakespearean Romeo and Juliet ending where he dies and he tells Marin to eat me. I want you to eat me. If you love me, you will eat me which is deep as hell bones and all bones, bones and, all. and all oh you never done that bones and all i will say i, I wanted someone eating bones yeah i want i, wanted wanted to, see I wanted to see that because it was teased by stuhlberg so i my one well, like, bit, how do you go about that when the movie was over i was like i wanted to see someone eat someone bones and all set up with I it. guess you need like a hammer or a chisel uh, bones are pretty hard uh yeah, i guess so but i'm gonna boil them hey they're set up man but it was it was, a, yeah, yeah. it was actually a beautiful ending to a horrific tragedy. It, it was tragic. Very tragic. Yeah. But obviously... Very bloody. Young love is not eternal. Seldom is. So you know it can't last. And it never usually does last. And also, I mean, I think being an eater is a curse. And Absolutely. It le- it's, it's just a, a curse, the inevitability of an early death. That's why I said it's a rarity yeah. that Sully is alive still yeah. because of his system. Yeah. I think if you're an eater, you're going to die. You're going to either die or get locked up very young. Yeah. But this movie, I thought, was surprisingly beautiful. Well, not surprising because Luca made it. (laughs) I was about to say. And Timmy's in it. But um, strangely romantic, strangely beautiful, dark, twisted, gory, not glorifying cannibalism. It's just a, it's just a great story. It's unique. Yes, I mean, yeah. I don't think anyone's gonna be eating anyone after this. Movie. I mean, people love serial killers. What's I mean, it's, it's cannibals. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. But it, it was it's a it's a really interesting movie. I never seen anything like it. It's kind of uh, on its own with the blend of horror and romance. It's really a unique tone. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really stunning work, and I love Luca. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed watching him photograph American locations. Me too. It, it was really cool and very few filmmakers do it like he does he and- really took advantage of it like i'm saying like it reminded me so much of broke back mountain because angley yeah. really took advantage of american landscapes and locations August Van Sant's done that in several movies as well. So I think he really took advantage of the beautiful landscape and size and scope of the United States. Not focusing on like the most tourist visited locations, yeah. the most biggest beautiful places, but just like the flatlands, the, the the plains, these beautiful locations that are just endless nothingness. It's kind of like the sea. Yeah, and Lucas shoots everything with the mostly a wide to medium wide lens, like 35s and 50s the whole time. Mostly 35. It looks like this entire film was basically on the thirty five and he'll use close-ups extremely rarely if even if he even does use close-ups um but i just i just love his cinematography it's so simple yet so beautiful uh the lighting is just always just remarkable i I love his movies and i love his style as a filmmaker but i i I, like i said i just i loved seeing his vision and the artist in artistry in uh, the american landscape and the american like what like uh, a town block in America looks like, or what like a home in America looks like. It's so interesting to see yeah. a European come in, in and yeah. film it like they would from a perspective of Europe. Mm-hmm. It's really great. Well, that wraps our review of Bones and all. We hope you enjoyed this movie as much as we did. Please become a patron today at Patreon.com/slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. This episode was also shot on brand new Blackmagic G two six K cameras. Thanks so much, Blackmagic Design, for sending us these incredible cameras highly recommend them if you're an independent filmmaker getting into filmmaking super low budget very uh, affordable, affordable and affordable. It's, it's the highest quality C- you can get for the price cinema cinema quality cinema c-log filmmaking it's incredible yeah 35 millimeter sensor so it's legit thanks black magic design we appreciate yeah, it. you're cool guys yeah 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 they're, they're pretty cool over there yeah. <laughs> all right thanks everyone for tuning in See you next time. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons. Luke Exelston, Tyler McFly, Darren Singleton, Anthony DeMeo, John A. Agras, Becca Keen, Cody Moen, <laughs> Benjamin Cook, Calvin Cam, and Chandler Johnson. Thank you so much for supporting our show. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.